Guten Tag, I'm Harry. And hello, I'm Rory. You're listening to Games on Film. say guten tag (laughs) yes welcome back to games on film the podcast that celebrates video game movies and we have a long overdue return to the world of the bet noir of video game movies it's the one and only ua bowl and his i want to say maybe masterpiece postal though (laughs) when we're talking about ua bowl masterpiece is a very subjective term i think magnum opus is magnum opus much better closer to what we're what we're experiencing with his uh his offering here and it must be said the reason we're doing today's episode is because this has a sort of political bent this uh movie certainly circa 2007 bent (laughs) so since there, you might have noticed a little bit of stuff happening in, in US politics right now. We, we thought we'd sort of take this opportunity to do a video game movie which swims in these waters, pushing aside what might be floating in them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, at time of recording, we don't know who the president's going to be. It's getting close one way. It's going to be maybe... Well, it's definitely going to be one or the other. I think we'll keep it at that. <laughs> and like the May the Best Man win or indeed whinge as <laughs> which which could possibly happen am i is there a delay no 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 i'm just i just don't you know i've got nothing to add <laughs> trying to collect your thoughts it's been a tough week it's been a tough week we're in lockdown two presidential election i had a tooth taken out this week and i was joking the whole time gosh what is going to be more painful a tooth extraction or postal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hold fire on that uh, reveal. But let's talk a little bit about our our feelings about the games, the postal games. Um, what what have you had any experience of these, Rory? My experience of the postal franchise is basically a lot of secondhand PC video game magazine and internet chatter rather than any first-hand experience the games they uh first game came out in 1997 and um as recently as last year postal 4 no regrets has been released in early access on steam and it seems like the postal games have been one of those franchises which much like for instance Grand Theft Auto, or Carmageddon, or Manhunt, that has had a lot of controversy attached to it, and in many respects quite justifiably. Yeah, I mean, if you've not played Postal, or aware of Postal series up until now, it is definitely 
a provocative series and the I mean the controversy really revolves around the fact that the aim of the game very much seems to be you go around shooting innocent people and this sort of waded into the waters which have been stirred up by a lot of uh like shootings um school shootings things like that I mean I, I myself I had no experience with the games I was just aware of the talk around them um I thought it was interesting to see how Postal 1 came out in 97 and Postal 2 came out in two, uh, 2003. And that's kind of like either side of a lot of stuff. It was either side of 9-11. And, and for goodness sake, when we started this podcast, I didn't think we'd be talking about 9-11, the Taliban. <laughs> yes, terrorist attacks. Um, like I thought, you know, I thought we're talking about you know, the the Mario movie and Sonic the Hedgehog, and you know, lots and lots of killing zombies, lots of zombies. But here we are. Um, so interestingly, Postal One in '97 is an isometric top-down shooter, and it's sort of a twin-stick shooter. And there happened to be a version, a remastered version, on the Nintendo Switch, which I downloaded and gave a go and you know what it's 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 a lot of fun it's it is a very meat and potatoes isometric shooter Mm -hmm. but i really had to go back to that mindset of the the grand theft auto days and just remind myself it's, it's that sort of era really felt like the games industry i don't know thumbing its nose i feel like snapping pulling on the knickers of of the media and just snapping it and just seeing what happened, you know? Mm. I guess there was a lot of, you know, deliberate boundary pushing just to sort of test how far they could go, how they could get away with, because it was only really shortly after, as we've mentioned, things like Mortal Kombat and all this, you know, games causing violence, um, you know, media hysteria and it being talked about Mm. in Congress and, you know, game certification coming in. So you know, it mirrors the same as the sort of VHS and video nasty era of the 80s where, you know, some stuff was labelled that way unjustifiably and other stuff is just like, oh, well, no, actually, you know, there is a reason why maybe certain countries are banning these games or, you Mm. know, censoring them. I mean, I'm going to sound like every single movie trailer ever, but the world has changed. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And I have changed as well. The saying goes, you don't walk into the same river twice twice because you're a different person. It's weird. I watched this and I feel you could not make this sort of game today um, because you, you have cops to shoot and they're all attacking you. The In Postal 1, there is a, a scantling of plot in terms of in what's in the instruction book. That there's, there's deliberately not much plot in the game. And the plot sort of implies that... The town has been gassed and everyone has gone mad and therefore you have to shoot everyone. But in a plot twist, and I suppose spoiler for Postal and, and the Postal film while I'm at it, um, it you get to a uh, the final level. I didn't get this far yet, I'm getting there. But the final level is a school and as you try and shoot the kids, you can't. And then from what I read, the plot reveals that you are are actually mad and in an asylum or something and you you're kind of imagining 
If not the carnage before, then certainly the school shooting. And there's this voice going along in your head as well. There's a, a voice whenever you shoot somebody. Um, I thought it was the postal dude saying it, but it was actually some sort of other being, like your your mind or something. So um, here's the thing. I feel like I've been talking a lot, but here's where I was playing this game and admittedly enjoying it. I kind of remembered that these were games. <laughs> by which by which I mean it called to mind something I've been thinking a lot about in Star Trek, the next generation specifically. In that show, they have a holodeck, and in that show they imply you can do anything and go anywhere. And I really wondered what that meant for necrophilia. Natural conclusion. A natural conclusion, and I guess it should should go without saying this this episode is going to be full of like kind of grimy subject matter, and I'd be very surprised if one or both of us are not cancelled by the end of it. <laughs> um, but he, I just thought in in the holodeck and Star Trek, you create a holographic person who does not exist, never exists, is not treated like a real person. So if you were to do a hologram of a dead person and and then a, a necrophiliac did what necrophiliacs do what's the problem i think <laughs> they say holding my hand have my hands up and i say hey sort of way i think they'd probably be booted out of starfleet for um <laughs> you know for bringing their organization into disrepute hmm I think it goes within the same territory as you're not allowed certain images on your computer. You know, just because you're not committing an act doesn't mean that by doing so, it's not a, it's a bad thing and it's potentially exploitative. And I mean, I guess it's the same thing as like you get those, um, you know, Japanese manga and anime with leery, potentially child pornographic material you know just because no one is being harmed by someone drawing these things it is normalizing the acceptability for terrible things to happen and i would say that you banning a dead person in a holodeck would also normalize <laughs> you know you doing that to a real dead person i'm so glad you've said that because you've managed to keep me on the straight and narrow <laughs> No, that's a very good point, normalising. So I guess that's why games like this uh, have caused a little bit of, of worry with the parents thinking about the children. And whereas Postal 1 was isometric, Postal 2 was first person. And this is sort of how the series has been since then. It doesn't look like the graphics have changed that much between Postal 2 and Postal 4. They are... They are, they are simple creations. Yeah, and the film, while saying that it's adapted from Postal, is in many ways seemingly takes its cues largely from Postal 2. And I think the idea with Postal 2 is, yes, it's FPS, and it, it has a kind of sandbox, do-what-you-like approach to it. You have tasks that you have to do as part of uh, your kind of daily grind, but on the way you encounter... Uh, in the city of paradise where it takes place a kind of cruel world uh, and you are given the opportunity to i guess fight back against society in this 
cruel world in this in this cruel space. So you can actually complete the game without any violence, um, but the way the whole game is set up, it's skewing you towards a path of violence and also seemingly the ability to piss everywhere <laughs> from uh, what I've what I've seen of the game. Didn't get to uh, play this, but I did watch footage and there was so much pissing. And it does feature in the music video for Where Is The Love by Black Eyed Peas. So I guess that whole song is trying to be a salve against the society that would allow a game like Postal 2 to be acceptable. Well, we know where the piss is. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all inside the Postal Dude, apparently. But that's the thing. So the games were uh, created by a company called Running With Scissors. And I think... It's the perfect name for a games company that would produce postal games because it encapsulates what I feel like their statement is, is that it's a sort of dangerous thing that the grown-ups tell you not to do. And I think Mm. the games are constantly, uh, you know, having this kind of tongue-in-cheek sense of humour in a sort of like edgelord 4chan trolling for the lols sort of mentality about it. So Mm. it's like oh, you know, if you're offended by this, then, you know, that's your problem, kind of, uh, like, attitude towards it. And I think um, Postal 2 actually received some 12 years later in 2015 an expansion called Postal 2 Paradise Lost. And around that time as well, it was sort of like Gamergate time, and the company Running With Scissors aligned themselves with Gamergate as well. Um, oh, saying, see that. saying that they weren't pro-dotsing and harassing women, but, you know, they were taking a stand against ethics and journalism, which, <laughs> you know, justifiable or not. I keep on saying justifiable, but that's how I feel like I have to couch everything in some sort of, like, quotation marks at the, at, during this episode. But, you know, they, they have mentioned that, you know, oh, games magazines would mark them down because they didn't sort of... Um, you know, sort of collude with them, etc. So I'm not getting into the specifics, but the very fact that in this Paradise Lost um, expansion, um, Milo Yiannopoulos appears as himself kind of seems to, you know, you can see which way this <laughs> company is going. And, you know, they would argue freedom of speech, do what you like, etc. But I don't know. It's not a look, good look <laughs> overall, is no. what I'd say. I just feel that ethics and journalism argument is like a straw man argument. The size of the one in the wicker man which <laughs> is in fact made of wicker. <laughs> uh, okay, that puts me... That, that sours me slightly towards running with scissors, but I feel with all this stuff we've talked about, how it's like purposely sort of obnoxious transgressive if you want to be a little kinder to it and all that stuff it just feels like the postal franchise is perhaps the most ooer bowl franchise you could possibly get <laughs> like i said like um we, we've talked a lot about ooer bowl i is this our, i don't know how many episodes we've done but it certainly feels that he kind of takes love beloved properties and then turns them into Uwe Boll films. But I think it's extremely telling that in Postal, the movie, uh, he himself appears 
and also the creator of the Postal games. So I feel like it's like peanut butter and chocolate you know what i mean it's uh <laughs> i feel like you, it's difficult to imagine a postal fan looking at this film and think that's not postal i guess there's one crucial aspect of the central character which i'll get to but um in terms of the genesis of the collaboration um uh there's been a book published earlier this year by boss fight boots which is a uh, publisher which specializes on people writing about certain key video games and one of them is Postal uh, which was co-written by Brock Wilbur who focuses on the game side of things and Nathan Rabin who focuses on the movie specifically so it's like a kind of combined text Um, but apparently what happened was that a member calling themselves the president of the German Postal fan club said that Uwe Boll would be perfect to direct the Postal movie and this president of the fan club online in quotation marks claims that he knows Uwe Boll and can get him in touch and apparently did so and and managed to secure a deal but um, this uh, German fan club um, president seemingly then disappeared so there is a question mark on whether that was Uwe Boll (laughs) himself (laughs) So yes, let's just say categorically it was him. It's not Peter and the Bush. But they did, you know, they saw his films and they did think he would be a good fit. And they sort of, you know, saw Uwe Boll as a kind of Lloyd Kaufman trauma-esque figure. Mm, I got real trauma vibes from the film, I must say. Yeah. And, you know, latterly, you know, in this interview with the with the makers of uh, the games in this book, they talked about how actually Boll abandoned their treatment and... Uh, went a bit more wacky than they were hoping. Um, I think they were looking for something which was maybe a bit more, not fully serious, but maybe a a bit more kind of, you know, filled with anger (laughs) rather than like lots of dick jokes and that kind of stuff, maybe. Um, But I think it's still the case that, yeah, this does seem like a match made in heaven in terms of his sentiments, because... While we've talked a lot, obviously, on this podcast about how Uwe Boll made all his video game movies, you know, he has got a background in comedy and satire. Like, he'd made this uh, German fried movie, which I guess was his take on Kentucky fried movie. And aside from his video game movies, he does also make political stuff. He's made a film about Darfur. He made a film about Auschwitz. I think he is in that film as a camp guard which you know explains a lot uh he's made a Mm. vietnam movie called tunnel rats and then you know before he decided to pack in filmmaking altogether he made a trilogy of films called rampage which has the same sort of uh anger against the sort of system i think one of the movies has assault on wall street as a subtitle so you know you can see, like, you know, he has got these views, but the way he often expresses these views is very troubling and usually using a lot of colourful and uh, unpleasant language in the process. Like the documentary about him, Fuck You All, the Uwe Boll story or whatever, (laughs) is like, obviously that's not his film, but that just, like, sums it up. And I think, you know... 
the ultimate message, I suppose, of the film is that Uwe Boll is, you know, equal opportunities offender to an extent. And he is against all kind of religious uh, dogmas and belief systems and, you know, uh, freedom of speech is what he wants. And I think this film came off the back of his infamous boxing match where he defeated online film critics in the ring. They didn't know necessarily at the time he was a former boxing, <laughs> uh, like he was a former boxer. Um, and he, yeah, beat them all up basically in the ring and literally went toe to toe with the critics. And so this film is very much a kind of like a, a full stop as you, or maybe even an exclamation mark um, <laughs> of that part of his career, I'd say. A regular Joe is about to uncover Jihad! two sinister plots. Today we do God's work. We will strike a blow against America. I'm gonna go watch Oprah. <laughs> we must wipe out the entire planet. You guys have issues, man. And he'll use whatever means necessary to bring the bad guys to justice. I have to destroy a postal truck filled with lethal microbes before a doomsday cult or a terrorist group destroys the entire world. Yeah, like I believe that. One hundred virgins, they promised me one hundred one. Maybe the exact number of virgins is not precise. This fall, which is so many monkeys? No, I got nothing to do with this. Don't go mad. <laughs> go postal. Should I send a couple cruise missiles down there? I just wish I knew how to quit you. Hey, everybody should buy my book, How to Fire an Employee Without Making Him Go Postal. So, I know this bit is a lot of people's favourite bit in the podcast, but we don't have a video box to read today. Uh, we rented it off, um, I think, Google something or other. You know, you've, have you heard of Google, Rory? Uh, I'm more of an Ask Jeeves person. Yeah don't know anyway google is like a big company and you can sometimes rent really good movies off it and so i usually ask jeeves to rent the movies for me he just he stands in the corner of your room with a, a platter of dvds and provides <laughs> suggestions for you and what wine it will go with would you care for blood rain i'm going to ask you what drink you think would go good with this film in a minute so think on that so um we're just going to sort of do our best to say the plot the bottom line is, the this guy, referred to as the dude in this film, but we will just know him as Postal Dude because that's his game character. He is down on his luck. He's out of a job. He's living in a crap trailer park with a uh, thankless wife, um, which is known as the bitch in both the game and this film. Uh, he's trying to get a job. At a company called Glutco, but he doesn't get it. He fails the interview, 
And throughout this sort of nightmare Americana city called Paradise City, where the grass is green and the girls are pretty, he encounters a uh, sort of a sort of a cult which is run by his uncle Dave, and it's sort of like a hippie Christian cult. And both this Christian cult and the actual Taliban with the actual Osama bin Laden. I believe he's played by an actor in this, actually. <laughs> Not as himself. Both um, this cult and the Taliban converge on a on Paradise City's greatest amusement park, which is Little Germany, because that is the only place you can get the coveted Crotchy doll, which I think, uh, because the ship transporting crutchy tolls to america sunk um this is the only place you can actually get them and people are selling these babies for like forty thousand dollars or thousands of dollars and i guess from what i gathered both the uh christian culture is undergoing a bit of a money problems and the taliban would love to have this money to further their objectives and i think i'm doing well so far roy yeah yeah <laughs> I think I'm that's really the pleased. kind of I think that's the sort of the setup, the inciting incidents, and uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I could do more, but I think I, I want to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> okay. Um. So, where should we start? I guess actually, what I like to do sometimes we dance around what you think, what I think. I think this might be easier if we talk about what we thought of the film. Uh, Rory, please tell me what was your f- what's your thoughts on postal well i put you on the spot a bit so i don't have to say mine first okay i think postal may be uve boll's best work it's not necessarily the one i like the most but it's probably the least ineptly made that we've seen on the podcast and in many respects it succeeds and at times it is also funny there is a lot of stuff i do not agree with in this film but for the most part even the most offensive material is couched in such a kind of cartoonish and goofy vibe it's sort of okay a lot of it is kind of ironic and it's certainly doing all it can to offend you and shock you and you know there are certain things which i really did not care for and i can you know let you know what those are um but generally speaking the fact that it's trying so hard to offend you sort of renders it a little bit impotent. And at the same time, there are some actually quite funny bits in amongst the really awful and gross stuff that it misses. It's sort of anarchic. It's has the same kind of like mitts of social commentary and bad vibes that Gamer, for instance, had. But that film made me feel even dirtier than this one because this is a bit more kind of like bright and happy-go-lucky with its, you know, 
often quite disgusting things that it's trying to do. And I think there's a lot of problematic stuff in it. Believe me, problematic is, is you know, you could call this film problematic instead of postal and it would, you know, sum it up quite nicely. I think problematic is sort of an understatement, to be honest. Yeah. But I was just watching it as a sort of outsider view of America rather than having like a kind of real agenda beyond just trying to do the most trolling offensive thing possible. And I think, yes, as you said, like the world has changed and this film pushes certain buttons now that it probably didn't on release. But then at the same time, other buttons that it pushed on release are probably less effective now, if that makes sense. Because as it's trying to do offensive things in every shape or form across all kinds of uh, warts of life, some stuff hits harder now than I think it did at the time. But yeah, I, I think... I think the, the 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 surprising thing with Postal, I went in with the lowest expectations possible because of what I because I was like, oh, Uwe Boll is trying to make jokes about the Holocaust and nine eleven and you know all that kind of stuff. Brace yourself. But actually, <laughs> I was surprised how some of that material worked, and that made me feel mm. both. Good and bad. I guess, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm I've kind of been worrying if this episode is gonna I'm gonna end up cancelling myself. Um, I mean, it should be noted that on the poster it says this is a live action South Park, and I feel that South Park itself, people's view of that show has changed. I, I must admit, I've not watched it probably for about ten, fifteen years, and. Um, and so maybe the show itself has changed. But I feel as somebody who enjoyed South Park when it first came out, this film kind of was very much my vibe. And I feel like I, I genuinely really enjoyed watching this, which is something I thought I'd never say about a Bowl movie. And, you know, there there is problematic stuff in this. That can't be denied. But... There was a part of me which, especially with like the shit show which has been happening in America for the last four years, it has made me really kind of miss a time when things were kind of simpler and all we had to worry about was 9-11. Congratulations, Nabi. We are at the doorstep of our martyrdom. Praise Allah. Praise him. Soon we will be greeted by Allah, the one true God, and by the cheers of our forefathers, and by 99 perfect virgins who will worship us for all eternity. I thought it was 100. What's that? 100 virgins. They promised me 100. 99, 100. What's the difference? If they're telling you one thing, and they're telling me another, maybe they don't know for sure. Maybe. Maybe the exact number of virgins is not precise. I mean, if it's in the 90s, I can look at that. Or 75. Hey, I'm not greedy, but what if it's 10? Well... What if it's 10? 
But we have to split them between us. Then you'll have five more virgins than you have right now. Right? We're talking about eternity here. How long will five virgins last you? Maybe a month? They're not going to be virgins for long, right? Look, would it make you feel better if we called the big guy? Yes. Take this thing. And um, I think the first scene really made me laugh, which really surprised me. I mean, the first scene is two terrorists flying a plane. We eventually find out what their final destination is. But there's two terrorists bantering over how many virgins they're going to get if they they carry out their terrorist attack. And And they talk about 99 virgins, 100 virgins, and, you know... That is a sort of sketch, which I think is kind of really hilarious and really well observed. And I think the only thing which made me go, ooh, uh, hmm, was was right at the very end where the terrorists decide to turn around and, and go to the Bahamas instead. But suddenly the occupants of the plane break in and it's kind of through their actions that the plane ends up swerving and going into the twin towers and so that that shot of the plane heading right towards the camera intersecting with somebody washing the windows of the two towers that did me make me go eh, uh mm, i don't know <laughs> i don't know about this actually but the yeah this is sort of well observed funny stuff and i didn't expect it to come from the pen of Uebol or his co-writer where well, he's also written a bunch of other Uebol stuff hasn't he I think in the name of the king I saw and and that stuff so it just seems just that little bit smarter and it just seems that everyone's game to talk about how silly this all is and the entire film is like a commentary on how living in America is is stressful and sh- and oftentimes shit and that's the vibe from the games and and this is what we're getting in the films and it's got as you say this outsider perspective like it reminds you of Paul Verhoeven from the Robocop films uh film I should say you know it's it's got that vibe and it's and you say it's trauma-esque where it's just got lots of um let's say not Hollywood beautiful people in it, which is kind of Troma's go to. Um I mean we talk a lot I guess I'll just wrap up with, with what I'm saying about how I enjoy this. <laughs> I mean we talk a lot about how video game movies they don't need to have the actual content of the film as much as their tone as their inspiration. And I, I think this nails the tone of Portal portal <laughs> <laughs> i mean interesting if it nailed the tone of portal <laughs> this nails the tone of postal 2 uh, for, for good or ill it's provocative and it's transgressive it doesn't give a shit and mm. you know it does what it says in the tin but uh yeah i kind of applaud it for that yeah i mean it the the opening itself doesn't really feed its way much to the film apart from just setting the context that this is a post 9 11 film and yeah i i found that actually pretty funny and i think the way it's done it it might even be the best scene in the movie or at least the most i think um clear in terms of the voice of the comedy 
and it's not necessarily mm. you know while they're sort of debating about the number of virgins that they get it's not sort of couching anything about uh the joke is coming more from amidst of the ineptitude of the terrorists the fact that they don't have the story straight the fact they have to call osama bin laden to sort of check how many virgins mm. they actually will get <laughs> I know. And then they get the sort of doubts, don't they? Because they've been told different things by Osama bin Laden. And, you know, if you think about it, this was three years or so before Four Lions came out. And, you know, know. it wasn't so uh, long or maybe I can't remember exactly. I think it was only a, a little bit after Team America World Police came out, which, you know, I mean, I'm not saying this is necessarily as good as either of those, but I think... Also, this is better in terms of at least this sequence that people give it credit for. And, you know, like having that live action South Park written on the bots, Team America, etc. It does. It does feel like it's kind of trying to channel that same vibe. I think this film, in terms of its general political stance. It is like equal opportunities offensive, apart from maybe straight white males. (laughs) (laughs) um i think that's the problem is that while it punches up it also punches down and it punches left and it punches right so the problem with that whole take no prisoners offend everyone mentality is that it's still coming from a voice which isn't going to offend things that is meaningful to them or things that they enjoy we can get onto the little germany sequence in a bit which maybe challenges that view but I feel like there's a line this film crosses at certain moments where I don't think it's funny enough to cross that line, if that made sense. Mm. I think everything about humour is about uh, timing, uh, but also knowing when to stop. And I know there is an, an extended director's cut version of this film, which is over two hours. And I have seen a few clips from those deleted scenes and it, definitely feels like there was a reason why those things were edited because it just goes a little bit too far without being then funny to back it up in those moments. And I feel like sometimes this film really kind of like pushes that and the misses that happen with the humour is because it just isn't funny enough to back it up. I think one thing we shouldn't overlook, the simple fact is that pretty much everyone in this film who gets kind of insulted kind of also agreed to be in this film and of course that's that's a sort of hollow excuse because you know there's an argument a counter argument is i mean i'm thinking in terms of the character known as the bitch who in this film is is grossly overweight and you know there are people who like own stuff like that i mean i certainly am I'm, you know not perfect and i'm not really slim at the moment but you know i i sort of revel in, in taking the mick out of myself and there's certainly people who um, who do that in this film but also of course there's people who feel like well there's there's no other roles i guess i will be in this film so i mean i was also just seeing how this the big star in this film Vern troyer uh, aka mini me from austin powers um he's a lot of fun in this film but he's also carried around a lot like a baby (laughs) and that's partly because there's a lot of running sequences but i kind of felt how 
in Austin Powers, they would film it in such a way where he would be running behind them or whatever. But in this film, he's kind of just manhandled all over the place, like basically sitting on the boobs of one of the many hot Christian hippies. But, you know, without actually reading interview or knowing what their thought process was, it's, it's, it's difficult to entirely pass judgment. The whole Vern Troyer thing is, it like, Vern Troyer, he plays himself in this film. And on the UK DVD box, it says, featuring BB Megastar, because I guess he was in Celebrity Big Brother at the time, Vern Troyer. Um, I didn't realise then that he was, like, billed as, like, the big talent of the movie. And he is introduced because he is the voice of the Trotchy dolls, which play a pivotal role in the movie. Mm. But he's literally seen accepting his payment from Uwe Boll, director of the movie, and... The whole idea of him playing himself is like he is literally being paid to make this appearance in the movie as mm. the character of Vern Troyer, but also, you know, it's like a cash grab role for him. And he basically is only there to spend the whole time saying, What the hell is happening? What's going on? And then <laughs> and then and then face a, a a very disturbing and troubling fate because the whole joke is that in this hippie doomsday bible which has been sort of tossed off by the creator who set up this whole cult just as a con in order to get sort of tax breaks like you would you know it's like scientology etc not paying his taxes gosh yeah imagine a leader (laughs) not paying their taxes how horrible would that be (laughs) um but in this uh version of the bible it it indicates that part of the prophecy is that a tiny entertainer will be raped by a thousand monkeys and so that's basically what happens (laughs) yeah it's but it's it's one of those things where like they've constructed this scenario in the bible for this to take place and the only reason Vern Troyer is in the movie is for this to take place so it, it just it feels like a very messy and unpleasant transaction by all parties involved i feel like this was a moment as you say with like you know the obese woman and that kind of thing there's like this feels like the film at its most exploitative (laughs) in terms of a very naked celebrity endorsement transaction although Vern troyer did also appear in promo pieces for this movie dressed as indiana jones because the film was released on the same weekend as kingdom of the crystal skull so <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm I'm gonna say it. I enjoy this film a lot more than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> it's just it's just fact that's factually accurate. I mean the it should be noted that I think in Postal Two there's a celebrity cameo of Gary Coleman who's like a a dinky uh celebrity. So there's a lot of stuff in this film which I thought were like creative flourishes by Uwe Boll, but they were actually from Postal 2. Um, especially, like, I didn't I didn't think I'd be watching this film where a man picks up a cat, stuffs the end of his gun inside the arse of a cat, using the cat as a sort of silencer, and you get this wonderful puppet cat face going meow as a bullet goes out of its mouth and kills the Taliban soldier. That was like... Did I just see that? This is amazing. And I found out that's that's in the games. 
but still like credit where credit's due i sort of figured it would be because that's there's no reason for that to be in the film at all (laughs) i was like that's not how cats work (laughs) the cat survived that was the thing i was most surprised about yeah so so here's the thing i mentioned a moment ago about how the postal dude is ever so slightly different in the film as he is to the games and and i feel this is like a microcosm of how Uwe Boll has maybe changed for the film or, or whatever. So this is what I'm talking about. In Postal the Game, I feel he is a complete 100% horrible asshole. Um, he, he's either controlled by this voice in his head. Um, in Postal 2, as you mentioned, you can go through the missions not doing anything violent. And I think that's the sort of counter-argument running in Swift Scissors gave when people would criticise the game. They would say, it's only as bad as you allow the game to be. And it's not our fault that people are using the piss programme that we included to piss on literally everyone and make them sick and shit. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't... I just feel like throughout all the Postal games, he's 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 just a horror. He's not somebody you want to spend any time with. In the Postal film postal dude seems really like reacting to the world around him and he's always not really wanting to hurt anyone he's kind of thrown into these situations um i think the first time he actually shoots a whole group of people i think it was like a neighborhood watch a group of people who had mistakenly perceived him to be the, the enemy. Um, he does say sorry as he's gunning them down, <laughs> which is kind of comical. And he's he's cornered in that situation. So there is a certain, you know, life or death situation. Yeah, it was kill or be killed. They were all toting guns. But I think the only time he outright kills somebody he didn't need to was a horrible lady who um, refused him like a welfare check, which he desperately needed. It was a, there's a really funny, I say funny, it's a really funny shootout in a welfare office where he's trying to get his welfare check. And he's on his hands and his knees. And every time somebody gets shot, he picks up their ticket to see if their, their number um, to be seen is a little bit higher than his. And, you know... I thought that was really funny, um, yeah. but when he when he gets to the counter, the lady behind the perspex glass has just been sipping her coffee while bullets are hitting the glass. Like this happens every day, and she says, "Sorry, time out, time to go." And so she, I thought she was gone forever, but later on, she just happens to be on the street, on the side of the road, and postal dude drives his truck right into her, and she has a terribly bloody death. <laughs> but other than that. Um, who's the guy who played Postal Dude, who we've also seen in Resident Evil Apocalypse? Zach Ward. Zach Ward. He, I just, he is just a fun presence. He, he, he's just downtrodden, down on his luck. He's putting up with a lot of shit. And I think a, a lot of people can emphasize of him, though I guess I'm, I'm saying this as a straight white male myself and like, oh my God, am I like the problem here? <laughs> but no, I, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. I think he does bring a kind of, sweetness I, I don't know if if that's the right word but you know the, the the problem is is that 
he, by all accounts, could be the sort of potential profile of the white domestic terrorist, the kind of people that we have seen, you know, commit sort of terrible acts and, and start sort of, you know, do school shootings or, or, you know, shooting up protesters, that kind of stuff. So all of this is couched in the, he fits that model profile. But I think the difference, the difference is, though, the world is so vile towards him and at the end of the film like right in the last five minutes of the films he gives us like massive speech which i'm definitely going to drop in as a clip <laughs> okay fuck this bomb 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 that can take out a whole city block bomb. Do I have your attention? Get down here. What's wrong with you people? You're so busy trying to... Blow up the world in the name of God. Newsflash, fucktards. God doesn't need your help. He's God! And he, she, it, they gave you life. And you're wasting it. Look around you. Look. Look, God damn it. See? We're not that different. Because we all come from the same family, known as humanity. And what do families do? Do they fight? Yeah, sure. But they work it out because they love each other. And they know that they're stuck with each other, just like all of us are here. On this crazy big mud ball called Earth. So come on, people. Let's try and find some common ground, huh? Uh, well, we all hate Jews. No, no, no. No, not a hate thing. A happy thing. I think it's time to empty our hands of guns so we can fill our hands with hugs. <laughs> if you want to waste this precious gift we call life, I can't stop you. So go ahead. Shoot. Or hug. Shoot him. The terrorists and the cultists, they all start firing their guns again, which I feel just is 
just reminds me of um, that bit in, in Children of Men where peace reigns for just a moment before all the shit goes down again. Yes, I did not expect that comparison, but sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the film, though, works because there is that... Not not just because of the the society crapping all over him or, you know, because of, you know, uh, other sort of outside forces influencing him. I think it works because, you know, he feels like a kind of vulnerable presence. Like, he isn't necessarily causing all this shit. Maybe the stuff he does then kind of, like, has a knock-on effect. But I feel like, yes, he is maybe kind of accidentally swept into this because paradise is a terrible place to be and everyone is incredibly mean and angry the whole time and you know you could argue that is the case with a lot of these you know reactionary um right-wing shooters and domestic terrorists etc but the thing is you have these kind of characters in other movies which you know people look on more fondly you know you look at something like falling down or um mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing um uh, god bless america from uh, directed by bobcat goldthwaite which uh-huh. almost has a sort of slight similar like dark comic presence where this one guy he is diagnosed with um uh, terminal uh, illness and then decides to basically shoot everyone that doesn't agree with him and he sort of his big finale is he's going to go to the this American Idol ripoff and just like shoot everyone there and stuff and it's you know played for laughs you know dark comic laughs but in a way I think this film may be even a little bit more successful at least in that aspect and I'd say I probably like this film more than Joker <laughs> um, <laughs> which I think you know has a sort of like similar uh, objective um, I think this film does it better. Sorry, Whacking Phoenix. <laughs> I think actually in terms of the video game movies that we've done, this isn't wildly different from the Angry Birds movie. Oh, I'm hoping in Angry Birds 3, uh, Red gets a machine gun and shoots a bunch of punks. Pigs. They're called pigs. They are called pigs. Um, yeah, I wrote in my notes here that it's just nice to see Ua Bowl being a bit lighter and sort of embracing his goofiness. You know, we've seen things like Far Cry, where we had the squealing food guy kind of puncturing the atmosphere a little bit. And and here it's just, it's, as you say, it's just a big cartoon. It feels like everyone's having fun on set as well. Everyone's just being daft. But I will say, though, you're not saying that Chris Coppola here, who plays the subordinate to Uncle Dave of the uh, Doom cult, denomination of organic monotheism um you're not saying that he gives a good performance here though are you because that's definitely a mark against this film for me i get it that like his kind of screeching persona makes more sense here but i found every utterance that he gave in this film (laughs) intolerable even worse than all the racist jokes so yeah there's a few about alumnus in this film um alumni <laughs> in this film so we've got that guy who was the food guy in far cry he now plays richie who as you say is the subordinate to uncle dave the leader of this cult um i guess it's just worth mentioning there's also the guy who plays 
uh, Officer John, there's two cops in the film, Officer John and Officer Greg. Officer John, I think, also showed up in Far Cry. Yeah, Ralph Muller. Mm-hmm. He was a fun presence, I thought. But I must say, I quite I felt that Richie's presence in this film was again far more appropriate than it was in Far Cry. He he's just obnoxious. He's screeching. He wants to feed Vern Troyer to the loins of a thousand monkeys. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just thought he's par for the course. I must say, I quite enjoyed him. Sorry, Rory. Fine. <laughs> So, yeah, as I mentioned, Richie is a subordinate of Uncle Dave. And Uncle Dave is sort of a persona this guy has for all his hot, young, hippie Christians. I quite liked how they were hippie Christians in that I just always felt like being a hippie was sort of a rejection of organised religion. I quite liked how they had sort of this, this sort of mismatch of what can i say styles <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's run by uncle dave and we meet him amongst a bed of of sexy ladies and again this is where i was thinking oh am i this is this is like gross but i'm kind of enjoying it there's a lady with her head in his crutch and when she lifts her head away from it we're here <laughs> which is obviously her mouth coming off his willy and again i'm like that's kind of gross but it makes me giggle a bit it's I the idea that she fell asleep with his willy in his mouth i'm saying willy because it sounds a bit more <laughs> innocent than cock but anyway and then shortly after that we get some lovely full frontal male nudity if i look at this um film on Internet Movie Database, the plot keywords include male frontal nudity, pubic hair, breasts, blue panties, white panties. <laughs> so, oh, good. So the search terms so all come up when, when you're looking for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a champion of full frontal nudity. There's far too much female nudity in films. I mean, it's just... I like nudity, don't get me wrong. It just needs to be a bit of balance. And so we're introduced to this guy... Standing up, receiving a progress report on Richie regarding his uh, monetary problems. And and then he, Uncle Dave does sit down on the toilet and does a piss and a shit. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm enjoying this bit. It's really, really gross. And that's when I felt it was going down sort of Troma's gross sort of toxic Avenger sort of world. That's the thing. It's It's like... Oh, this is funny, and then it's not. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> very much like roller coaster undulating of what is actually bad taste but good, and what is bad taste but bad. Um, the character of Uncle Dave is played by Dave Foley from uh, comedy group Kids in the Hall. I-, I liked his performance. I thought he was he had a, a kind of fun energy. Mm, I. I really liked his um, chemistry with the postal dudes, you know. I felt it was just nice to see, uh, like, a somewhat supportive uncle. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically postal dude's one port in a storm because his life is... Postal dude's life has turned to shit. And when he shows up at Uncle Dave's place and you're like, oh, wait a minute, he's actually 
post or to his uncle. So, and he's like a, he's a, Uncle Dave is also a con man. This whole religious cult thing is just to make money, which I quite, which I really enjoyed as well. He's just got all these weird, listless Paradise City citizens sort of just under his thumb, you know, because of a shitty Bible he wrote, which then Richie sort of believes. The part of Uncle Dave was originally offered to Ron Perlman. I think Uwe Boll gave him the script while filming In the Name of the King, but um, Ron Perlman said that the script offended him and declined. <laughs> I, I also read Gary Coleman, who he mentioned earlier, was, was offered the chance to reprise his role, I guess the Vern Troyer role, but he turned it down because he didn't want to swear. Bless. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so as I'm going through Internet Movie Database, a goof is that the <laughs> the uh, World Trade Center did not have human window washers, but rather machines that washed the windows automatically. So I'm like how some studious person watched this film, saw that scene, and was like, "That's not right. It's inaccurate." <laughs> did I just say inaccurate? I did. So I guess the other main religious group that uh, this film sets its targets against uh, would be the Taliban, who, I don't know, it seems like post-Islamic state ISIS and all this kind of stuff, like, almost felt a little bit nostalgic about the Taliban and Osama bin Laden making their appearance in a film. Yeah, don't take that clip out of context, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess it's like how people are, like, saying, oh, remember George Bush? Wasn't he great when Trump's in the picture? It's just like, no, no, he wasn't. I know. (laughs) It's really upsetting that people like him and, like, Tony Blair, like, are in the news sort of making sense right now. (laughs) Just like, no, no. I really enjoyed how we're introduced to the Taliban. They're based within this secret uh, place within a corner shop, and there's a a sign on the door saying, uh, no entry for infidels, which I thought was just, again, really amusing. And uh, in this film, it turns out that Osama bin Laden is like a bit of a diva, and uh, it's really this chap called Muhammad, which is the brains of the operation. And I feel like this Osama bin Laden is a a guy who's kind of let his, his, his group get away from him a little bit. It's just a really fun performance, you know, from from basically all the, the Taliban guys. And um, it just sort of, as I said, it reminded me, as you said, a bit like Four Lions. Very much broader. Very oh, much sure. broader. Again, it just it comes back to how this film just has sort of a view of, isn't this all ridiculous? Let's not treat it with any seriousness. This is stupid. I guess the main thing with Osama Bin Laden in this movie is how he is besties are potentially in love with George Bush, George W. Bush, and they exchange phone calls, and Bush, like, lends him a hand at points and sort of coaches him and stuff. So... And Osama Bin Laden, I think one of his last lines of the film is, I don't know how to quit you. (laughs) Yeah. Because there were genuine conspiracy theories at this time that America, like the Bush administration plans 9-11 and again it it sort of feeds into that but it just makes it so ridiculous i mean the poster has bush and osama bin laden on the cover hand in hand they're kind of front and center depending on what poster you're looking at and i actually thought the whole film was going to be this 
and I didn't I wasn't looking forward to it but Bush only appears a few times and and just this the performance of a guy playing Osama who's often called Sammy by Mohammed which I quite enjoyed it's it's just fun it's just it's light it's not it's again it's just sort of puncturing the 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 seriousness it's trampling all over the eggshells I suppose I did like when he gets when Bush gets a call from Osama and he's on the golf course and then it it pans out and it's actually a crazy golf course and he's got bar bar black sheep as his ringtone um <laughs> it's just like you know I I miss these jokes <laughs> about oh the president's a dum-dum it's a you know Trump's a different kind of you know i'm not saying bush is better than trump or anything like that it's just like it's a different kind of satire when it comes to those two Hmm. and again i don't expect this sort of humor from Bowl. one of my favorite scenes in the film is when postal dude gets interviewed at this company called glutco and we see the subtitle glutco the world's leading producer of gluts and where he's being interviewed they've got heads on stakes which is like really scary he does the interview on a, a dodgy chair he can't really sit on he's always fighting the chair and then um he's asked all these open questions but the interviewer and his sort of um associates she says wrong to all his answers to these open questions. I see you notice the hands. Motivational. Those are every fucking bastard that I had to climb over to get this job. Jesus. <laughs> Pal, they're paper mache. They were, you thought they were real. <laughs> Sit down. Let's get started. So, I hope you don't mind... I hope you don't mind the recording. Uh, we're going to use it as training later. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's uh, the chair. Is All right, we're, we're on a time clock, so let's get started, shall we? Yes, sir. Good. Yeah. Well, um, so I'm here for the job, sir. Right. You're a uh, factory worker. I was. I was a factory worker, but the factory got closed down, so I got laid off. And I've interviewed 15 other people for this job. What makes you think you're better than them? Well, I don't know if, if I am better than them. Well, goddammit, pal. If you want this job, you better reach out and grab it. You better put those fucking heads on the wall. You know what? Fuck it. Let's go to the questions. What is your greatest strength? Um, I'm a really good team player. Wrong. What is your biggest weakness? Um, I'd say I work too hard. Wrong. How would you move a mountain using only a spoon? A spoon? If you were in a box, how would you think outside it? Uh, well, if you're in... Wrong. Last question. What is the difference between a duck? There's some intelligence behind it. There's some commentary behind it. This is not stuff I usually associate with Uwe Boll. So, 
Yeah, um, and like we were talking about a film where Osama bin Laden is like a character and the Taliban are involved and they go to little Germany and I'm like not, I'm not that offended, <laughs> but maybe that says something about me. Yeah, the whole little Germany sequence, I guess, is the film at its, um, I guess, most playful, I would say um i want to go i'd happily visit little germany it looks like just oktoberfest with the beer and the sausages and the gas chamber yeah um, Bowl himself is german and Bowl himself in the film talks about how his films are funded by nazi gold so yeah what's your take on little germany yeah, I think the little Germany sequence, if if the opening with the uh, September 11th attacks is the film at its um, strongest, maybe, the little Germany sequence feels like the big centrepiece um, of the film because you have all these different groups converging on the scene with the big launch of the crotchy dolls, um, which have been secured by... Uwe Boll, director and owner of the Little Germany Amusement Park. And he's been interviewed on stage and he's talking about how he turns video games into hit movies. And as you <laughs> say, like the finance of this comes from the Nazi gold. But then he starts talking about, oh, I get really horny being on stage, seeing this crowd and all the children. It's just like... Yeah, that was a bit what the fuck. You know, again, it's like a case of like, oh, okay, you know, pushing it, pushing it. And then it's just like, well, that's just what even is that <laughs> you know um and it's i think the sort of the the boldest sort of moment i suppose and maybe the most sort of you know something which um i think was picked up when it was screened for the running with scissors team and they said that they did not like it because they did not think it was funny but i actually found it quite amusing is during the, all this chaos which happens when the Taliban, when the hippie group led by Postal Dude and Uncle Dave show up, it all goes into a great big gunfight, um, and a lot of children get squibbed and die. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this... Okay, so I wrote here, I wrote in my notes, I should not laugh so loud at an innocent child holding an ice cream getting shot in the chest um i think the thing was we hold on this child for so long and he looks like he can't wait for the squib to go off yeah i mean again you have to just take yourself out of the scene a little bit and think most of these kids because there's one little girl who doesn't look like she's looking forward to it at all <laughs> but most of these kids seems like they just can't wait for this to happen and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about like be by being in the film you have like this sort of tacit admission that you're okay with the content. Like there's a scene when this reporter is standing on the corpses of multiple bloody children out of like the very nightmares of any parent. And it's played sort of for yucks. The reporter is like, Oh, these kids are starting to smell. And did you know that reporter was the same was the same lady who played the anchor in Dead Rising? No, but yes, that's wow. That does make sense. 
I learned that today. It blew my mind. <laughs> so, yes, we watched Dead Rising last time with this news anchor lady. But in 2007, she was amongst this whole just murderous scene of dead children saying to her cameraman, make me a star and putting on fake tears. And again, it just feels very Paul verhoven It's um, It just felt really provocative to have these children getting shot. This is America, as I kept thinking. This is, this is just the, the chaos of America, like then and now. And, you know, can't be overstated that the amount of children getting shot every year is just viewed as something which just kind of happens in America. It's gross. Yeah, the, the way this is couched is not like Assault on Precinct 13 when the shooting of a girl with an ice cream cone is a horrifying moment. It's, mm. as you say, the kids all seem to be having a whale of the time while this is happening and it's all played for like big, big yucks. But like the inciting incident of the scene and we touched upon it earlier is the reason why the shooting kits off is because this crotchy doll mascot reveals itself to be one of the traitors of Postal, who literally declares, Bowl, I'm Vince Desi, traitor of Postal, what did you do to my game? And then starts beating up Bowl, who magically brandishes a bunch of boxing gloves, clearly referencing his um, match with the online film critics. And Bowl is saying, I don't know what your fucking problem is, this movie is great. <laughs> it's, it's not a crotchy doll which does that, it's a crotchy... Yeah, I said he was a mascot mascot yeah there's a yeah. big hitler mascot in the background as well yeah that that's in the background somebody made and wore that <laughs> but yeah very meta isn't it and in the like chaos that ensues uve Bol then literally shoots the traitor of postal then all these kids get shot and as bullets fly around bowl then gets shot in the groin and as he falls to the ground dead says i hate video games <laughs> So, if, if we're just to compare Uwe Boll to Donald Trump for just the moment... I'm sure he'd love that. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love it. I mean, I think what annoys people about Donald Trump is that he seems to have no self-awareness. And what Uwe Boll is literally doing here... And I, I never got the impression that he was very self-aware. He always seems like, if you don't like his films, fuck you, and my films are great. I feel... He's really making a statement here saying, look, I know, I know what I've been doing and I know I'm hated and I know all this shit. And I am now playing this character who is literally saying, I hate video games like you suspect me to. And hey, I'm even giving you a treat. I'm being shot in the dick. So if you've ever want to see Uwe Boll get shot in the dick for all his crimes against video games here you are and um so again i've got to credit him with that yeah i still think he is a horrible person like oh, yeah no doubt i think to say the things i think to say the things he says um even couching it in like a kind of ironic just doing it for the lols trolling thing is like horrible but uh, you know this this film maybe warms me to try Sorry, I was going to call him Troll. <laughs> Uwe Troll. Um, this film warms me to Bowl the filmmaker. I still don't think I am warmed to Bowl the person. 
And that's mm. what you say about separating art from artist again, even though he is slap bam in the middle of this movie as himself. It turns out the real reason why both the Doom cult and the Taliban are after the crotchy dolls is not to sell them on the black market. I, I did enjoy how the where they find the value of these crotchy dolls was on a website called uh, StuffExchangedForMoney.com, which I thought was a hilarious alternate universe version of eBay. Do you think that domain still exists? I haven't Googled it yet. I'll find out. I'll let you know. But yes, the, the reason why they're after these crotchy dolls is not because of the value of them, but because hidden inside is avian bird flu direct from China for which the West has no cure. Yeah, again, I'm like reminiscing about bird flu. Yeah. Um, so the Taliban, they want to launch it in an attack against the West and kill everyone in America, while Richie has bigger plans and actually doesn't want to stop the Taliban, but they're thinking too small. He wants to wipe out the entire planet as foretold in Uncle Dave's prophecy. And in so doing, Richie instigates a coup and shoots Uncle Dave, but not before full-on kissing him in the mouth in... I don't know. I'm not sure if this is positive. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're the best people to talk about it. I mean, my own feeling was that Uncle Dave... I've just written here, Uncle Dave is gay, then bi, then dies. And um, because he, he dies groping the booby of one of his, uh, per, I was going to say parishioners, one of his, what's the, what's the correct phrase for a sexy Followers, lady? I'd say. Followers, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It still, it still seemed to me queer positive because it's not saying it's a bad thing to be gay. He sort of discovers himself for like 30 seconds before he's blown away by Richie. So... There's a bit of shoe leather in the last half hour where they're just going back and forth a bit, picking up truckloads of crotchy dolls, going to god shelters instead of bomb shelters, sacrificing for Troy to rapey monkeys, as we mentioned, um, bit of Taliban gunplay, but it all culminates in a return to where this all started, to the trailer park. But this time, by this time, I think the postal dude has fully embraced his his role as a sort of a badass. He wears the shades, which is a iconic part of the postal dude character. He, um, I mean, when he tours up, I really got a vibe of Ash from Evil Dead Two as well. He steps out of the smoke. He's got machine guns and he's tooled up and he's he's ready. He might as well say, groovy. Mm-hmm. which is um, something I say from Evil Dead, not Austin Powers. I frequently text people the word groovy, and I hope they think I'm not doing Austin Powers. Well, because you add baby at the end, so that immediately makes oh. it a Powersism. It's probably, yeah. I guess I just got Austin Powers on the mind because of Mini-Me. But yeah, everyone converges. The Taliban, Richie, and... Um, there's also just like most people in the trailer park take a very dim view of uh, the postal dude. I mean, there's a going back right to the start of this film. The person who owns the trailer park is sort of like your standard redneck character who, who informs the postal dude that they've had complaints about how 
his trailer has been rocking back and forth for the night because of sex noise and things. And Postal Dude says, you know, for your information, I wasn't even here last night or this afternoon. And again, that's a little bit of comedy. It's a little bit like he sort of the penny drops and both the Postal Dude and the owner of the trailer park learn that, oh, there's sex noise coming from your trailer when you're not there, Postal Dude. What could that mean? I thought that was amusing. Also on site are these two police characters who we mentioned earlier and they've been dotted around throughout the film just being horrible cops. Like we're introduced to Officer Greg just murdering an old Chinese lady for not moving past a red light or something. It's really horrible. Like I found that too much and I guess it's a commentary on fascist police brutality but he just completely explodes her with a shotgun firing three or four times into the car. Mm. Uh... Completely unprovoked, it seems. I did enjoy some ADR from the background. Somebody did go, holy fuck! Because <laughs> that was mm. pretty much my reaction. I think that's like the, the that cop character I just don't get. Because like his whole main thing is that he is drugging up a disabled guy in a wheelchair to beg for money and then claiming his takings for the day, I think. Yeah, he's sort of topping up his pay. The stuff that he's doing is, like, nasty without being funny. Yeah, now that stuff I didn't think tracked very well. But nevertheless, they are inside um, the Postal Dude's trailer, again having sex with his wife. The Postal Dude implores everyone to stop the mindless violence. And we have more in common than um, than what sets us apart. But again, predictably, the gunfight continues. And I think I enjoyed Osama bin Laden, who's in the middle of all this. He's, he's running away, trying to save his own skin. And, you know, this was made, obviously, before Osama bin Laden was actually found and, and killed. But... And we, did, we, dis- we discovered then that he is sort of a self-serving dick who hang- who just watches like pornography and, and, and he doesn't care about the the movement, as it were. And, and that seems to tally a lot of the Osama we get in this film, who runs away and saves his own skin while the other Taliban are dying around him. I honestly don't know who I'm rooting for in this in this sentence. It does rather <laughs> sound like... It's like, oh, Salma saves himself. Oh, no, he's a bit bad because he should be supporting the Taliban. <laughs> Just like... Anyway, anyway, this is, this is what Uwebol's done to me. Uh, I, I accept no responsibility. I regret nothing, as the postal dude says at the end of this film, and is also kind of the catchphrase of the games but you know as, as films like this often do it ends a nuclear war <laughs> um what, what causes that i forget as the postal dude survives the trailer park incident um and has shot richie in the head <laughs> game over seeing him shot in the head was quite enjoyable uh not enjoyable enough But there is an emergency announcement by President Bush who says that he has been forced to destroy China and India who are responsible for the terrorist cell that has been uncovered in paradise. Um, So 
clearly Osama has tipped him off and diverted um, all that stuff to other world powers instead. Um, but China responded by sending 30 atomic warheads to the United States, and there are two minutes before they hit. President Bush informs the world, or informs America at least, of the two minutes time frame, which is super duper chilling. I don't care what silliness has been going on, just to know you've got two more minutes to live is uh, crazy. I wouldn't say it was a happy ending. It feels like this film has just been all about escalation, and so... Yeah, I'm not sure there was any other way this film could end, apart from Bush and Bin Laden hand-in-hand skipping through a field as atomic bombs explode around them. So we've said a lot about how we felt about this film at the start, but is there anything else we've missed? I mean, it's we are 90-ish minutes in. We've not even mentioned... J.K. Simmons has just been copy-pasted into this film. And apparently a lot of his dialogue was ad-libbed. He is playing a character called Candidate Wells, and he just seems to be a crazy politician on the corner trying to make the world a better place. But he's in it, I think, for two full scenes before uh, a terrorist suicide bombs him. Yes, because he apparently knows too much by proclaiming that NASA does not exist. George W. Bush is an actor, and I think he is leading the Fuck You Party. There's an extended scene where he is saying a lot of stuff which Uwe Boll has said in relation to the making of this film, where he talks about that the people in the World Trade Center who died are not heroes, they were bankers. And he says all this kind of stuff about people don't care about the millions of you know, Africans and Asians and Arabs who have died since uh, the events of September 11th, and yet the people who died on that day are labelled heroes. And it's just like, Jesus Louise. <laughs> like, even though he's playing a character saying all this stuff, it's like, I can see why that stuff was cut out, because it's just like, damn, mm. that's a downer. I think for the better. I don't know what he's doing there. I don't know what that... Yeah. person. I don't know what that character's doing there. I don't know what J.K. Simmons is himself playing that character doing there. I mean, according to Ua Boll, <laughs> who is maybe the, the definition of an unreliable narrator, um, in his audio commentary for the film, he says that no big agencies wanted their stars in the movie, um, but Vern Troyer, Dave Foley, Larry Thomas and J.K. Simmons came to the casting call against their agent's wishes because they wanted to be a part of the movie so if i ever met jk simmons i'd love to know what he was uh what he was thinking <laughs> i i did actually enjoy the terrorist he he leaves the hideout and walks through the convenience store saying goodbye to like the cereals and things he's just saying goodbye to anything he could see in the shop which again i thought was quite funny but then he hugs J.K. Simmons and seems to blow him and everyone around him up. But then we see a sort of Looney Tunes style thumbs up from J.K. Simmons covered in blood as he slides down the window of the shop. And I'm like, what's going through your head? Anyway, I'm going down to dark places. Let's just move on. I mean, speaking of... Of explosions, I really enjoyed the coffee shop called uh, Grind Zero, which again 
play on words I don't expect from Uro Bowl, and I thought that was really funny. Um, I googled it, and Grind Zero also happens to be an Italian metal band who's <laughs> in 2011. So, fans of this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, we haven't really mentioned there's this character. I think her name is Faith, who's a barista yeah. in the coffee shop. And she eventually becomes a sort of like love interest tag along with uh, the postal dude herself. And so she is similarly had enough with other people in the world. She's like, uh, I guess, part of the Paradise uh, Anger Collective because she uh, chastises someone in the coffee shop for dithering about his order. Yeah, very cathartic for anyone who's worked in the service industry, I thought. I thought that scene was one and done with the coffee shop lady for Faith, but she also happens to be at Little Germany when the gunfight is happening, and there's this kind of funny meet-cute which goes nowhere, where uh, the postal dude sees her and goes, Coffee shop! And she remembers his order and says, Lattes, no foam! And I thought, I really hoped that was going to be the last we saw of her. But she does shoot up as a second pair of hands later on. And outside the coffee shop and another what are they doing in this movie, I guess, cameos, you have Seymour Cassell, uh, who would, you know, I guess at the time was in Wes Anderson movies more than anything. And Michael Huddleston, a.k.a. the titular Big Lebowski. Oh, fuck yes. Playing... What the fuck? Yeah, playing these sort of like, I guess like Statler and Waldorf Muppet style old geezers who just say disgusting things. Like they mm. see, they're checking out this woman's ass as she walks past and Michael Hudson turns to Seymour Cassell and says, when I'm finished with her, she'd look like she'd been hit by a mayonnaise truck. Oh. <laughs> and I just, ugh. There's another deleted scene with them where it just goes into like uh, age jokes and talking about feeding children come and it's just like uh, I'm no thank you. I know Mr. Lebowski from the Big Lebowski is not a nice man, but I think even he would be he would he would stop there. He wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. I don't. That seems like a really bad place to end our review <laughs> of the film, but I mean, it kind of invites that, doesn't it? But yeah, in a nutshell, I enjoy this a lot more than I thought I would. I, I kind of, I guess, I think I might return to it. I don't know what mental state I'd need to be in to return to it, but like I said, I was really dreading this because I thought, with all with the sensitive subject matter. I thought Bowl was just going to outright offend me. And while I didn't... Well, I'm not saying it's not offensive. I feel like he was more aware of what he was doing in this film. So, you know, by its own low bar, Bowl managed to clear it. So, you know, I'm going to give it some props for that. I think it unfairly was awarded Worst Director at the Razzies because... I think Uwe Boll has delivered a film which is actually competently made for once. I think it definitely has issues beyond technical um, filmmaking technique because, yes, there are... It's very scattershot in terms of its targets, 
But in so doing, it's also very scattershot in terms of what jokes land and what jokes miss. Stuff of it did tickle me, but a lot of it I just can't be on board with. So I cannot defend this film, and I find it very hard to necessarily recommend it to anyone. But I think it is the film of his which is maybe the most accomplished in terms of achieving what it sets out to do. What what I would kind of sum it up as being is that it feels very much like Cards Against Humanity, the movie, mm. because that's a game where it gives you the tools with which to say terrible things, but it would argue against itself, oh, no, we're not forcing you to say terrible things or do terrible things. It's all you. It's all the player, etc., but we know fully well what they're trying to do by having these taboo subject matters all clashing against each other and, you know, trying to get a rise out of you by making you say the worst things imaginable to appease the crowd. Um, Mm. This film feels like it's just throwing its cards across the table and being like, oh, you pit the Holocaust card, oh, you pit the gay joke card, oh, you pit the racism card and all this kind of stuff. And just throwing it all in the mitts and being like, ha ha, look at you, you're finding all the stuff offensive. I think it's a bit cleverer than that, but I don't think it's a clever movie. I think it's clever when the jokes work, but the film as a whole is just taking pot shots at absolutely everything. Mm. And then it does mean that there are stretches where bits aren't working or jokes aren't landing and then the momentum leaves you like feeling a little bit weared down by everything that it's throwing at you. I liked this film more than I thought it would but we're talking about individual gags and moments and scenes and you know to a certain extent I think the the central performance kind of binding it together and softening the blows that like Bowl and co are like really trying to hit you with i think in this uh situation it works because the dude here is just like a tiny bit softer and gentler than maybe like the in-game persona uh would suggest him being so it's a pass with a lot of caveats <laughs> Well, I think that's a win for Ua Bowl. <laughs> I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched, but I feel this may be the highlight of Ua Bowl's oeuvre. Oeuvre Bowl, as we say. But uh, next time on Games of Film, what are we going to be tackling? With the advent of a next generation of consoles comes with it a next generation of games. One of these games will be, eventually, Ratchet & Clank Drift Apart on PlayStation 5, so it's time for us to have a look at the Ratchet & Clank movie from a few years back. It's going to be very enjoyable, hopefully, to feature a film with no Nazis or zombies. I've not played much of Ratchet & Clank. That could all be included, so we'll find out next time on Games & Film. 
But in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with us? Games on Film has a website. It's gamesonfilm.witchsite.com slash podcast, where you can find all the links to episodes, information about the show and video game movies in general, as well as ways you can support the show. So if you do enjoy listening to Games on Film, please find the links on the website of ways you can donate and help us keep this podcast running. We're on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter and Instagram at GamesOnFilmPod, and I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at OnlyManWhoCan. You can also get in touch with us by email, GamesOnFilmPod at gmail.com, and all episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, indeed pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts from. So please do like, rate, review, share and subscribe. And on our social media channels, we also post all kinds of video game movie news as well. So give us a follow if you're interested about all upcoming video game movies too, which we hope to feature on future episodes of the podcast. And Games on Film, the podcast, the music was composed by David Lightfoot. So I hope with this podcast, you've been able to take your mind off politics for just a little bit. I'm going to go back now to uh, refreshing the new site's over and over and over again until something happens. Back to the old doom scroll. Back to the doom scroll. I hope something would have happened by the time you're next with us. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Auf Zen. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>